Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we debunk the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. And today we're going to do breastfeeding and we're going to do beyond because I have with me my guest, Colleen Weeks. Colleen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Marie. I'm so happy to be here and be with you and your listeners. Well, I know that they are going to enjoy what you have, I don't know if a joy is even the, quite the word, because we're going to talk about some difficult stuff here, but I know that they will be substantially enlightened as you talk to us about adverse childhood experiences, and that is A-C-E, adverse childhood experiences, and most people call that weeks. Uh, excuse me, <laughs> no, sorry, <laughs> most people call that ACEs, so... Well, right. And on the surface, you know, it's some really disturbing stuff, but there is so much hope when we look further uh, with the ACEs. And um, the more we study it, the more encouraging and and hopeful it is, the more resilience we see. So at first when we look at ACEs, boy, it is some disturbing stuff. You're right, Marie, but um, there is a lot of hope in, in looking further, and breastfeeding is a big part of that. Hope is good. Breastfeeding is good. Colleen, set us straight here. For many listeners, I know that ACEs will be a new topic. So I also suspect that probably different authors and different authorities probably define it a little bit differently. But when you think of ACEs, that is adverse childhood um, experiences, what would you list as the most common kinds of uh, adverse experiences? Well, the original research started about 20 years ago with a company that I work for, Kaiser Permanente. We are the largest health maintenance organization in the United States. And it started with one of our physicians who was working in the weight management department and finding that so many of the patients who were morbidly obese and treated for weight management um, had issues with a history of abuse in their childhood. And they were looking at 10 basic things uh, and three overall categories, abuse, neglect, and household dysfunction in their childhood. So they were looking at physical abuse, sexual abuse, and emotional abuse physical and emotional neglect, and then household dysfunction, so um, a splitting up of a family divorce, substance abuse of the family when children are observing substance abuse, mental illness, mothers treated violently, and incarcerated relatives. So our Kaiser Permanente physician, Dr. Vincent Folletti, and a representative from the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, did a study. So, you know, we all know about studies, but I'll tell mm-hmm. you what, this one had 17,500 of our members in our health maintenance organization were in this study. Wow. And they, did, they had a 10-point questionnaire, and they asked if they had experienced any of one of these 10 adverse child experiences in their childhood. And then they looked back 
at um, their score. So each one of one of these 10 had a, a score, a rating of one. So if they had four adverse childhood experiences in their childhood, if they had two. And so we're in a very middle class population in Southern California. And... Um, 37% of the population had more than three adverse childhood experiences. 16% wow. of the population had more than four adverse childhood experiences. And what we found is if there was an increase of more than four adverse childhood experiences, things that you would expect, psychosocial things like alcoholism in adulthood, um, depression, attempted suicide. So alcoholism was 7.4% higher. Or seven point four percent attempted suicide was twelve point two, but then the things that were really surprising, Marie, were the things that were not considered psychosocial behaviors. So we had a one point six percent increased risk of diabetes, one point nine percent increased risk of cancer, two percent. 2.4% higher risk of stroke, 2.2% higher risk of heart disease. And that was just a, an ACE score of four. But wow. then when you get higher and you look at um, ACE scores of six or more, here's a shocking number. There was a 20-year life expectancy if you had an ACE score of six or more. 20 wow. years less life experience. experience. So, um, or expectancy. So it's, it, there's a huge difference in our physical health. It's our emotional and um, psychological mental health, but it is also our physical health. And there was a very um, direct dose-related relationship. So the impact the more. Of- Meaning the more, uh, uh, the higher your score, the greater your physical or uh, your health, basically. The, the, the greater the health impact. Yeah, okay. So the higher the A score, the greater the health impact. And um, it was it was directly correlated. And then wow. the impact of ACEs starting earlier, if they, the earlier they started and the higher they were, the more common with childhood obesity, early age of first intercourse, teen pregnancy, bullying, um, either being the victim or the perpetrator of bullying, dating violence, um, carrying a weapon to school, early initiation of early initiation of tobacco, drug, and alcohol, self-mutilization. I mean, the study went on forever. We just kept looking at more and more and more things. And then the adult sequela of ACEs, the higher the ACE score, the higher adult anxiety, anger, anhedonia, which is anhedonia is the inability to experience pleasure from pleasurable things, Um, the higher alienation, avoidance, adoption of um, health risk behaviors, and then it, it just carried on. So you can see how all of those things together would not only affect the social, emotional health, but then the physical health. Oh, this is really quite fascinating. And Colleen, I know you probably don't know the answer that I'm uh, to the question I'm about to ask, but as I heard you starting out with obesity, I was thinking to myself that we have a fair amount of research that shows that formula-fed babies are more likely to be uh, obese as compared to breastfed babies. And so I'm sitting here thinking to myself, okay, wait a minute. Let's look at the population of people who would choose to formula formula feed their 
patients or their baby in the first place. And in some cases, uh, we've got parents who are, for instance, drug abusers. So, of course, some of them are being told, no, don't breastfeed your baby. And so I guess I'm seeing this as this really is... uh, this is all tied up in a whole bunch of things. I don't want to talk about the breastfeeding yet. We'll talk about that uh, in another segment. But uh, can you talk a little bit about how these adverse uh, childhood events, excuse me, childhood experiences, how they affect the mother and the baby in general? We'll get to the breastfeeding later. Well, yeah, there's two ways that we look at it. We look at uh, trauma transmission but we also look at epigenetics, and they're yeah. interrelated in a lot of ways. They're different in a lot of ways. So epigenetics, that would be, we see it in a lot of areas. So if you are a pregnant woman and you're smoking cigarettes, that affects your body. It affects all the cells in your body when you're smoking cigarettes, but it also affects your fetus. So Absolutely. we know that there is a change that's going on. I mean, we've been looking at that since, you know, the 60s. Of course, in the 40s, the 50s, physicians were prescribing cigarette smoking for your health. But since the 60s, we've really been doing a lot of education on how dangerous cigarette smoking is to you, mm-hmm. when, to your body. But now we know that it's changing what's going on with the fetus. So that's epigenetic two generations. But you can take that a step further because if a pregnant woman is carrying a female baby, that cigarette smoking is actually affecting her fetus's eggs. So now we're talking three generations. So it's affecting the DNA of her fetus's eggs. So now all those three generations, that's epigenetics. It's what's going on in your body when you're pregnant is affecting you. It's impacting you. It's impacting your fetus, and it's impacting your fetus's eggs. The epigenetics carrying down from generation to generation, that is your DNA. So we think, is it nature or is it nurture? Well, that's nature, big time. And then when you look at transgenerational transmission, that's the nurture part. So uh, the best way I know to explain transgenerational transmission was a great story I I learned about when the Jews were escaping the Holocaust oh, and uh-huh. they were they were you know they were leaving Europe and they were going to China and they were going to the U.S. They were coming in New York at Ellis Island and they were going to the the different. Um, areas in New York and the, the, there were the, Pol- the Polish bur- bureaus and the uh, boroughs and the Italian boroughs and, and the people were keeping the Jewish boroughs. They were all keeping kind of themselves and they were really living in those boroughs and not leaving. And so the people in the Jewish boroughs um, that had escaped the Holocaust had made their own little cities. They, they were all doing this, the different cultures. The, they were making their own little, uh, little cities and they shopped in their own little cities and they had their jobs right there in their own little borough and they pretty much stayed to themselves all these these uh-huh. different boroughs uh-huh. of, of cultures and um so there was and they would talk about what had happened the horrors of what were happening in europe and so here were the people the escapees and then their children and their grandchildren and they would get together for 
family events and they'd celebrate high holy days and they would have a birthday celebration and a funeral and a wedding. And then there were always the older people who were talking about the horrors of what happened in Europe and the children were hearing it and the grandchildren were hearing it. And there was an incident where there was a young grandchild who really never left that Jewish borough in New York until she grew up and she left and she went to college and she became a social worker and she thought, I want to do something really good with the knowledge I have now and I'm going to go back to New York, back to that Jewish borough and I'm going to take all this learning and I'm going to help my people. And so she went back and she got funding and she opened up a community center and she brought in psychologists and different kinds of therapists and other social workers and she did all kinds of advertising and she really wanted to help that grandparent generation with the things that they had suffered. They did Mm. lots of advertising and they had a big grand opening and none of the grandparents came. And they couldn't figure out why they didn't come. So they started going to their homes and saying, please come, we've got all this help for you. And they weren't interested because they had all been talking to each other for years and helping each other with the atrocities that they had suffered. And then she said, but I've been so traumatized hearing these stories. And she, they said, then you're the ones who need the help. So they opened it up to the children and the grandchildren, and the community center was filled. So wow. the people wow. who had been traumatized by the stories had been helping themselves all those years. But the, the children and the grandchildren who had been quiet and just listening had been traumatized by those stories, even by the though they stories. had not experienced sure. anything except the stories. But the stories had experienced them or had traumatized them because they'd experienced it just through the stories. And so we can sure and, see that when we talk about the Jewish community, but we talk about the Native American Indians and some of the atrocities that they have experienced and the African American community. And we think, you know, well, they live in a free country. What are they so worried about? Well, you know, we pass those things down. So when you think sure. about what happens with this, this um, toxic stress that is passed down in our DNA, in our health, and then by what we're experiencing in our psychosocial behaviors and, and, and what we're experiencing in our lives, and it's passed down, that is really impacted in our families. So if, if we've got toxic stress and trauma and these adverse child experience, childhood experiences going on in our homes and then passed down to our from our grandparents to our parents and then to the children and it it impacts us greatly with our emotional health and with our physical absolutely. health absolutely absolutely uh, tell you what uh, we'll talk more about this when we come back everybody don't go away we'll be right back after this short break Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff, 
or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, and I have with me today Colleen Weeks. Colleen is a nurse. She is also a childbirth educator. She is uh, has been at Kaiser Permanente uh, for many, many years. And as you know, Kaiser Permanente is the biggest, I believe the biggest, uh, HMO in the U.S. Colleen, was I correct on that? They are the biggest? We are the biggest KP? HMO in yep. the U.S. Yes. Uh, all right. So, Colleen, before we went to break, you were talking about the people, the children and the grandchildren and how the grandchildren had been exposed to what I would call these scary stories. Yeah. And I I want to ask you about this because in preparation for the show, I read something that I just didn't fully understand. They, uh, the study I was reading was from Canada, and it was by, I'm sorry, I'll probably butcher this person's name. It's, her last name is Yuka, U-K-A, and she talked about specific examples of uh, adverse childhood experiences. And one of the things that they found in talking to these people, they categorized them as scary events. And for the life of me, I was trying to think, like, what would a scary event be? And how could how could so many of these kids have a scary event? I'm thinking, well, a scary event could, I suppose, be, uh, 
you know, seeing a parent beaten or or something along those lines. But are these the kinds of stories, do you think, when when you talk about the stories that these children or, or grandchildren came back with, is that what you think could roughly, and I realize I'm asking you to speculate here, do you think that those could be considered scary events? Yes. The and stories. the more and more I study this, the more and more I read, scary events are seeing a parent arrested. Um, oh, uh, a, a sibling molested, a being oh, beaten uh-huh. yourself, a parent being beaten. So, I mean, the list goes on and on, and it is, it's upsetting to read. And um, a scary event could be your house burning down, where sure. it's nothing that's been perpetrated against you, but um, that's a scary event, seeing your house being burnt down, or having to escape um, a, a bad neighborhood where you know, things are going on all the time in a bad neighborhood, drugs sure. being sold and a neighbor being arrested. So a lot of times it's called talks. I haven't heard it referred to as scary events, but that's an interesting title or interesting use of words. But to children, if you're talking in children's terms and you're a child psychologist, I sure. think that would be a great way of explaining it. That's a, Those are scary events. All well, of as I heard... As I heard you talking in the last segment, I was wondering, does the child have to experience the uh, scary event, such as, let's say, watching a parent be abused or some such thing, or is even the stories, uh, do the stories qualify as a scary event? And I'm kind of thinking, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that, and I don't know if there's research on that, but I know that with the transgenerational transmission, um, the kids in the in the example that I used, the story that I read with the survivors of the Holocaust, the children were traumatized by hearing the story. So well, yes, in that example, that. yes. Wow, yeah. interesting, because, isn't it? Oh yes, yes. Well, that just kind of it was hard for me to get my head around it. They'd already talked about sexual abuse and alcoholism and this, 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 and this, and I thought, well. That all sounds pretty bad to me. So what on earth else could be a scary event? Right, but, right. And what it, what, it really boils, yeah. what it really boils down to is, does the child feel loved and safe? And that's, that's the opposite. That's where the resilience comes in. And, and the opposite of all that is, do they feel loved and safe and and in their environment, and are the people around them making them feel loved and safe? Yeah, I'm thinking that a lot of this literature must be somehow tied up with or interspersed with uh, literature as related to, let's say, abuse, or let's say, uh, uh, well, abuse is a big one. So it, it sounds like it doesn't have to be one thing or the other thing. It could be, to some extent, how the child perceives it. Would that be fair? Mm-mm. Yes, yes. Okay. And, yeah. and it's kind of the adverse childhood experiences versus the safety and love. And, and that's, you know, that's where we come in as parents. And is, or, you know what, sometimes it isn't even parents. It's somebody that the child knows that makes them feel loved and safe, and it doesn't even have sure. to be a parent. A parent. So, Colleen, this all sounds really dismal. I'm thinking, yuck, you know, (laughs) these kids really do experience this. This is really horrible. And so I guess that makes me wonder, you started out the show by saying 
but there's a lot of hope. And there I'm thinking, is. hey, Colleen, I'm needing a little, uh, I'm needing to hear something hopeful here. What have you got for us? It, it is, you know, it is really dismal on the surface, but there is so much hope. And that's where we come in in our work as lactation specialists and parenting, uh, teaching parenting classes. We are in the best position to provide a lot of hope. So what the research has found and, you know, we kind of know this in our guts already, is that infants, neonates, who are nurtured and loved, they prosper, and that resilience is a key factor with all of that. So um, the, the big deal here is that when we see a child in a stressful environment who has all these ACEs, if anybody, it's usually a parent, but it can be anybody in a family, it can be a teacher, it can be... Um, a, you know, a scout leader, somebody from Sunday school. It could be anyone that comes along and gives the child where they feel that they're valued and loved and that they have safety, somewhere safety around them. So we've got big heroes that have been teaching us these things for a long time. So we look at bonding. Bonding, we, we get bonding and attachment very mixed up. Bonding. Oh, they're not, different. <laughs> no, they're big time different. Bonding is prenatal, and that comes from the parents to the baby. That is our relationship with that child and it can start prenatally and after birth and it's how we care for the baby but attachment is a whole different thing and it's reciprocal and it really starts at three months of age as that baby responds to us and that actually the research on attachment started back in the 40s and the 50s with John Bowlby and Mary Ann. Oh right right. I'm speaking your language, aren't I? Oh, yes, yes, because I'm thinking that Mary Ainsworth talked about a, uh, now I've got the word scary event on my uh, uh, tip of my tongue, but she talked about strange situation. That was her words. She talked about the strange situation. Yeah. And yeah. then people like, you know, my my hero, Dr. T. Barry Brazelton, who just passed away a month or yes. so ago, and and other heroes like Kennel and Klaus, and oh, you yes, know, now yes. the Sears who've taken off, and our, our current uh, heroes with teaching attachment parenting, and that reciprocal relationship between parents and children, that if we, there's three things with attachment. It's eye contact, okay. touch, and talk. And when a child feels, experiences those things with their parent, their brain flourishes. And so the emotions are centered in our limbic system, uh, primarily our amygdala. And if you see oh, a child yeah. with a lot of ACEs in their life, their amygdala is very underdeveloped. And it's the only part of our brain, our amygdala, that actually regenerates. And so when you do brain wow. research and you see a child with a lot of ACEs, a very underdeveloped amygdala, and then you put them in a loving, um, a t- secure attachment home environment, the amygdala actually regenerates. Wow. And it regenerates when there's a lot of eye contact, touch, and talk, and the child feels loved and secure and nurtured, and you can turn it around. They are really resilient. So when you see these stories in the news about these horribly abusive homes where children are, yes. you know, yes. I don't like put put attention on them, but these horribly abusive homes when children are trapped and all those horrible things, and they take them out and they put them in a loving, nurturing, secure attachment home. Things turn around, and um, yeah. Bruce Perry, I, uh, Dr. Bruce Perry, has done a lifetime of research on turning that childhood trauma and into secure attachment, and what what a difference that makes. 
As I hear you talking, there are a couple of things that I want to point out to our listeners. First of all, Colleen and I did not script this, okay? But (laughs) as she mentions the amygdala, I'm thinking that we've had several other guests talk about the importance of the amygdala. Uh, The one that jumps to my mind especially was uh, Mark Harris. Mark Harris, who is a... um, midwife in England, and he talked about the amygdala a lot in that show, and I want to say that was maybe two years ago, but no one has told us, and I did not know this, I did not know that the amygdala has the ability to regenerate. I want to just point out that she said, correct me if I'm wrong, eye contact, number one, number two, touch, and number three, talk. And I think that at some gut level, we've all known that we, uh, gee, even if it's not our child, Colleen, I'm sure you have worked with as many newborns as I have. And, you know, you just, even if you're the nurse and you're a stranger, you just talk to these kids. You just do. The the problem is that some kids, that's that's about all the talking to that they're going to get. So that's another whole thing. But I guess what I want to say here is uh, don't underestimate the importance of the teacher, the coach, the yeah. who, whoever it is, as you were talking, I was thinking about a story that my sister told me not very long ago. My sister taught special education in the city school district of Rochester, New York, for more years than she probably wants me to announce on the air. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> uh, special ed, as you might imagine, is very difficult. And she said, and she has been retired now for more than 20 years. I think she's been retired for 22 years now. And she only recently had one of her students find her, recognize her, and and really fall all over herself saying how important that that she was as a teacher. And I'm Aww. thinking a kid that lands in special ed probably right off the bat has some of these aces in the first place. And so as the fact that she was able to recognize this teacher many, Aww. many decades after she had the teacher helps me to understand that we probably all underestimate how much impact, how much good impact that we have on a child and how hugely important that is. Hey, everybody, don't go away. I'm Marie Biancuso. I will be right back with Colleen Weeks right after this break. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. 
Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with Colleen Weeks, and we are talking about ACEs, that is, adverse childhood experiences and their impact on breastfeeding. Uh, For those of you who heard my story about the young lady that recognized her former teacher, I should add, by the way, that the young woman had now gotten her own husband, her own three children. She seemed very happy, very well adjusted. And so it makes me wonder how many of these kids do have this regeneration of cells in the amygdala. And uh, wow, it's, it's like now I feel like I'm looking for the success stories. Colleen, you talked to us about the difference between bonding and attachment. And you mentioned the three points of attachment being that it has to be interactive. It has to be a two-way street of eye contact, touch, and talk. Is that correct? That those are the three key elements of secure attachment. You know, there's negative attachments as well that are unhealthy, but for a secure attachment, eye contact, touch, and talk. And if we can reinforce that with the parents that we are caring for, that's just huge. And you know, they, with breastfeeding, those things come pretty naturally. You pretty put naturally, your right. Breast. You're looking eye to eye, you're touching them automatically, and it's kind of a common thing to just, you know, it's a, it's a natural thing to just talk and coo to your baby. So Absolutely. It's all about it. Yeah. Colleen, I can just imagine some people out there wanting you to elaborate on the three-month deal. I can hear somebody saying, whoa, 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 Colleen, doesn't attachment happen right away? And if not, why not? Can you address that? Well, bonding is happening, and that's primarily from the parent to the child, but attachment is reciprocal. And so when you look at brain development of an infant, you know, it's when people say, I don't want to spoil my baby. Oh, right. And, and right. 
You can't spoil a baby, of course, because their brain isn't developed enough for them to think cause and effect. They can't right. think, right. I'm going to do this so I can get my parent to jump through these hoops. I'm going to cry right now so my mommy will come and pick me up and feed me. They're just hungry or tired or cold or sleepy or, you know, whatever. And crying is a natural result of those things. So they, they're not able to think cause and effect because they don't have that brain development yet. So they're not even noticing cause and effect until they're about five and six months old. And the precursor to that brain development is the attachment of being able to reciprocate behaviors. So when you're when you're cooing at them and they smile back, you know, before that oh, right. and those things, you know, but when they're oh. able to actually respond and smile back at you, that's when the reciprocal behaviors begin. And then when they're able at about five and six months old to start noticing cause and effect, that's the beginnings of them being able to, and it, it sounds like it's a negative word, manipulate. manipulate that's the word I was going to use, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's funny because I was just about to say, so Colleen, here's how I handle it. I tell parents of newborns, your baby is not smart enough to manipulate you yet. He will, right. he will, but he is not smart enough to manipulate right. you yet. So I think right. that's a really good word because at some point, yeah, the, the baby realizes that if he does X, the parent is going to do Y. And right. that's, but it right. does not happen right away. It just does not. And I also try to emphasize, and I suspect that you and I are probably on the same wavelength with this, but I talk a little bit about the whole Eric Erickson trust versus mistrust. Absolutely. Oh, and what is the single most important, any child development class you've taken, what is the single most important thing for a baby to learn in the first year of life? Trust. Trust versus mistrust. And who mistrust, do you want them to right? trust? Absolutely. You, the parents. Yeah, yes. and how do they learn to trust you? By your meeting their needs. That's how they right. learn to trust you. So, In fact, actually, you know, when I teach my comprehensive lactation course to real professionals, these are not just parents, although they certainly are parents, um, I give them a little exercise where I ask them, okay, and so what would you tell the, the parent in this situation? And when And it's about stranger anxiety, the baby exhibiting stranger anxiety and so forth. And they say, well, I would tell the parent that it's normal. And I say, right, that is normal, but I would tell the parents something else. I would say, not only is stranger anxiety normal, it is protective. You yes, don't absolutely. want you don't want absolutely. that baby taking up with every stranger, right? And they're like, Oh, yeah. right, right. <laughs> absolutely. If you walk into an environment and a kid goes to every every right. person that comes by, that is a scary thing. Absolutely. You wouldn't want them to do that. That that tells them that they're not connected enough and safe enough with their parent that they would want to just go off with every person. Yeah. I, I just always think that that's interesting that people recognize that it's normal, but don't easily recognize that it is protective and it, it, yes. serves, it serves a function. You know, a couple of years ago, we had um, Sandra Reich on the show. She also has her own show, by the way, also on uh, Voice America. But she really talks about how we have these protective mechanisms within ourselves because it's really about, uh, originally, it was about survival, okay? Right, yeah. And so, yeah, it's a little bit different now, but sure. So talk to us a little bit about how these ACEs impact breastfeeding, either as the research shows or in your experience or both. Well, oh, this is my favorite topic. 
so, good. Go, go, go. <laughs> here, here's the great go, thing. Go, Colleen. So Kathleen T- Kendall Tackett did oh, yeah. some research, and she, inter- she studied a 1,000 expectant mothers about breastfeeding. And they asked if they had, if they desired to breastfeed. Now, take a guess of how many women, well, you, I'm sure you know this already, Marie, <laughs> how many women that just were the general run-of-the-mill, you know, average mommies out there wanted to breastfeed. Pregnant women oh. want to breastfeed. It's right. 78%, right? Right, right, so, right. how many women who had a history of sexual assault do you think wanted to breastfeed? Oh, dear. I've read that study. And by the way, she was also a guest on the show. And I can't remember, but it was substantially different. Yeah. No, it was 78 Oh, no. That's, that's right. But then it was the continuation. There you go. There you go. So they had challenges with continuing, but they still wanted to breastfeed. And so their desire was there. They wanted to breastfeed. So they had some challenges with, with continuing. They also have more challenges with traumatic birth as well. Because they've right. got this high A score, and um, it, and sexual assault is often, you know, not everybody who's been sexually assaulted has a big A score. I mean, it can happen out of nowhere, but a lot of times women with a high A score have also been sexually assaulted. So yes. sometimes those things go hand in hand, and um, that can really impact your breastfeeding. However, breastfeeding also really helps with resilience. So... We know that breastfeeding women have better sleep. We know that it turns off the stress response. We know that breastfeeding right. improves your mood. We know that breastfeeding decreases depression. We know that breastfeeding decreases hostility. All those stress hormones go down. So, we know that breastfeeding increases mother-baby attachment. It decreases cortisol levels. Oh, it decreases right. Stress response to real stressors because women that have a high A score, they have real stressors. So we know that the women who were successful, the women with, um, the the, the women who desired to breastfeed and they had a sexual assault, and there's a little bit difference between sexual assault and early childhood molestation. We're talking about rape. So those women who were breastfed, they actually had some healing with their experience because they breastfed. Breastfeeding actually helped heal them. That was really incredible. So also in that study, one of the things that she found is women who were not breastfeeding, this is a little bit off off the track, but it goes back to ACEs. There was a, a, no, it was a different study. It was an Australian study that women who did not breastfeed had a 2.6 high percentage higher childhood abuse, and 3.8 higher childhood neglect. They they were a higher likelihood of abusing and neglecting their children. So what that means is it increases resilience in the mother to breastfeed your children and it increases safety with the child. So one of the things people say, well, how could you want to, you know, push breastfeeding on women who've had all of these ACEs, all of these challenges? Took the words right out of my mouth. You're absolutely right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And so we never want to push breastfeeding on anybody. But what sure. we do is we want to educate them to the accuracy of what we know. We know that breastfeeding helps healing and resilience. And then we educate them to the truth and then we support their choice. That was so very we well know said. That, 
Well, thank you. Thank you. We know that breastfeeding is healing, and we know that it's the healthiest choice for the baby, and most often it's the healthiest choice for the mother. And so we don't have to assume that they don't want to do this because they've had difficulties. We give them all the information, and we know that the information supports breastfeeding. And if that's what they choose to do, that we want to support them in breastfeeding. And if that's not what they want to do, we want to support their choice. Colleen, you have just confirmed something for me, at least. The best part of this show is that I suddenly feel a little more normal because I began to wonder if I was the only one who thought that it was okay to introduce that breastfeeding topic because I've had so many colleagues who say, now, Marie, that's really not very nice. That's really not very thoughtful of you, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, no, I didn't tell her she has to do it. I just, I'm giving her the information. Everybody, don't go away because we're going to continue on the other side of the, the break. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm here today with Colleen Weeks. We're talking about ACEs. Be right back after this short break. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash gooddonor. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, and I'm here today with Colleen Weeks as we are talking about adverse childhood experiences and their impact on breastfeeding. Colleen is an expert on ACEs, that is the adverse childhood experiences, as well as breastfeeding. And we've had quite the conversation in that, that last segment. I just told Kath, uh, told Colleen that she actually made me feel like I was doing the right thing because I don't make assumptions. I just give people choices. Sure, I, wa- I do. I do want them to make the choice for breastfeeding. I admit that. But there are people that I feel like if they have made an informed decision and if I have given them the best support that I can, if they tell me that they don't want to, well, I'm not going to... I'm not going to chain that baby to their body. It just doesn't work that way. So, Colleen, as I was hearing you talk, this is what's going through my mind. I'm wondering if there are people out there for whom, I just read this not very long ago, about this woman who had had apparently just some horrific uh, sexual abuse, and by that I mean rape, And she did not want this baby on her breast. She really cringed at it. She did. She said, every time this baby is attached, I just I just don't want to do it. I won't know anything to do with it. I want him to just go away. But I hung in there because I did it for the baby because I knew that breastfeeding was best for him. The good part of that story was that I couldn't get a grip on how long she had breastfed, but apparently a substantial time. But the good news was that with her second baby, she was able to breastfeed and enjoy it. So can I, uh, none of this, of course, is cause and effect, but can I leap to the conclusion that some of this might be at least somewhat explainable by that regeneration of cells in the amygdala, that that, uh, uh, emotional center, if you will, of our brains. It it sure could. And, you know, none of us have done, you know, scanned her brain and had a radiologist or a neurologist look at it and all of those things. But, you know, we we could assume that that's probable and that she's had some therapy and emotional healing and resilience and all of those things. And with over time, her secure attachment with the first child made her feel safer and and more competent as a parent and more connected and securely attached to that first child and feel, felt like, you know, I can do this. I love this first child. I'm going to love this second child. And, yes. you, you know, you don't, you don't know what's going on, but I, I just feel so strongly that that resilience builds. And, well, the, we know that with the research that that resilience builds. You put somebody in a, in a secure, safe, loving environment that that resilience builds over time. We know that is for sure. Um, and you know, that story is so beautiful because that's exactly what we want to happen. So where we started today with these adverse childhood experiences, it is, it is a pretty dismal thing when you look at it on the surface, but when you look at the research with resilience and if you go online and you look up adverse childhood experience and, and ACEs 
and resilience, there are so many websites. It started right here at Kaiser Permanente, but it is all over the world right now. And there are books that have been written, and Oprah just did a thing on 60 Minutes. This is, we're talking, it's, it's become huge in the last 20 years. It's really taken off, and, and it really has turned around healthcare completely. Um, looking at, I think if we could take people who have a 20-year difference in their lifespan because of adverse yeah. experiences, wow. and we could turn that around by helping them be in a safe and secure, loving environment. It, we could do with all the debate on health care reform. Oh, my goodness. With, yeah. with having people be in a safe environment. That, that is huge. Colleen, do you think it's possible that even things, I'm thinking like giving a kid a lumbar puncture, okay, that is not abusive. It is not any of those things, but it certainly is painful. It seems like it would be stressful or scary or whatever. Is it possible that we've got kids walking around who have been exposed to something that I'm going to loosely call a scary situation that we don't even, we can't even like identify what it was or when it happened? Is that, do you think that's possible? Well, it, but if they're in a loving environment, they it do doesn't matter. Well. It's right. the loving environment makes the difference. So if yeah. you think about if, you know, all of us probably had something traumatic happen in sure. our childhood, but if we sure. had loving parents, loving family, people saying you're going to be okay. In fact, what the research shows you can have a horrible childhood, uh, home life environment, and you had that one teacher, that one coach, that one place where you went where somebody said, you know, you're smart and you're beautiful and you're yeah. important and... That do you ever look at people that when you're when you're making friends with somebody and you find out, wow, their life was a disaster. How did they turn out so good? So what good, happened? Yeah. And, yeah. and then you look at other people and you say, what happened that made them such a mess? It sure made me having this information and study these aces. It sure made me a lot more kinder in my thoughts because I see people yeah. that have. Like behaviors that I'm normally I would say, well, what the heck is wrong with them? Why did they act that way? And now I look at them and I'm I'm quicker to say, I wonder what happened to them to make them act this way. It changed me into a less judgmental person because you know you don't act bad usually unless something bad happened to you to make you act that way, and it it sure has changed my outlook on life. Sure, because hopefully we are pre-programmed for good behavior as opposed to bad behavior and something messes us up. Wow, I I just want to tell everybody, Colleen Weeks has been a hugely interesting guest. I'd like to point out a couple of things that she has really talked to us about over this last hour or so. She's talked about how these ACEs impact our physical, mental, and emotional health throughout life. And I think she has given us a huge message of hope especially as she's talking, talked about this ability to regenerate portions of our amygdala that is our emotional center in our brain. And she clearly has talked to us about how resilience outweighs the ACEs. And she certainly helped us to look at, oh, wow, she listed a whole bunch of things here about how breastfeeding is a great resiliency factor for both the mother and for the baby This has been just so hugely, hugely interesting. Uh, Colleen, thank you so much for being on the show today. 
Marie, thank you for having me. I can't thank you enough, and I, I really enjoyed this. I'm so glad. And for all of you who are listening, just remember, whatever it is for you, if you've experienced one of these ACEs, you have hope for yourself. If you are in a situation where you see somebody that you think might have been in that situation, you can be that important person for them. Never, never underestimate the importance of interaction with other people. Never underestimate your ability to help that person and never underestimate the ability of breastfeeding to grow a better generation. But as you know, this hour always goes too fast. I'm Marie Biancuto, and I hope that you will be joining me next week and every week as we talk about breastfeeding and beyond. And in the meanwhile, just remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby. 